welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, the queen of burnout, mother of dragons, colleague in medicine, coach in life, Dr. freaking Aaron Wiseman. And I am here with a special guest, Dr. Brent Lacey. We are going to talk all about dollar bills because I know I would like some more. <laughs> I don't know about you. We talk about uh, his blog called Scope of Practice that has evolved in so much more. And I want to tell you about a conference that he is arranging online. Medical careers drain time and energy from physicians and their spouses, not to mention the crushing death that most doctors are facing when they first come out of training. The Marriage and Money MD Summit is a free three-day online event that will give physician families the tools, resources, and encouragement that they need to strengthen their marriage and build wealth so they can have a happy family and financial independence they deserve. Dr. Lacey talks in this podcast today all about him, so you'll get to know a little bit more, but he really does have a special passion to help medical marriages because over 30% of them end in divorce and money struggles are the number one cause for marital conflict. I really want to encourage you to think about attending Marriage and Money MD. I know we have personally experienced the same kind of struggles with me and Mr. Wiseman as well, and I really think bringing more awareness to the topic is crucial. So you can find the link in the show notes. It starts November. November 15th, and it goes through the 17th. If you get signed up, you will be eligible for the replays. So even if you're too busy, because I know we're all busy these days, make some time for this. And did I mention free? One of my favorite F words. Welcome to the podcast, my fellow physician friend and Dr. Podcast Network member as well, Dr. Brent Lacey. It's great to have you with me today. Hey, Dr. Wiseman, and thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is a very special case. When I let XY chromosomes on the podcast, I'm not going to lie, there's only been like a handful of them. Well, you know what? For for those of us that are out here trying to represent the XYs, we, we humbly uh, offer our appreciation. Yeah, well, I'm glad to have you. I, I do screen like because I like, you know, I want my people and you are definitely my people. So for those who don't know you, tell them about what you are doing in the world and the special magic that that you place out there. So uh, so I'm still a full time practicing gastroenterologist. And I uh, was in the Navy for 15 years and got out last summer and joined a private practice here in Dallas and just loving it. It's crazy. It's busy. It's intense, but it's, uh, man, I got a great team and just a, just a killer group behind me. It's just really a fantastic place to be. But my, uh, my special magic that I'm bringing aside, uh, aside that is uh, that about two years ago, I started a, what was then just a blog and has blossomed into kind of a wide range of things that we call the scope of practice. Because uh, I'm a huge nerd, can't resist a good dad joke. So um, hence the scope of practice being a gastroenterologist. Uh, so basically I had been observing over the course of some years that, uh, that residents and fellows that were coming out of training were really, really well-trained to be physicians and frankly, pretty lousy at a lot of other stuff that has to do with business of medicine, with running your personal finances. I, I don't know about you. I didn't get any training on that stuff in med school, certainly didn't get any tra- training on that stuff in residency and fellowship. 
I had the benefit of growing up with parents that were really diligent about teaching us good financial management. And then I read about 500 books on the subject in college uh, and then had a phenomenal leadership and business training experience in college that was just absolutely amazing. But I know not a lot of people get that. And you know, I saw that there was this big gap in what the med schools and the postgraduate programs were just missing for us and felt like that was bad and needed to fix uh, so the, uh, the scope of practice was born. So it's a, it's a blog, it's a podcast and, um, launching a slate of online courses and a digital summit coming up. That's all about how to help, uh, physicians ma- master their personal finances, manage their business more successfully and level up their leadership skills. Basically all the stuff that we needed to learn in med school and we didn't. Money, 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 money. Yes, absolutely. I'm sitting here shaking my head as you, you're saying this. Because I definitely had to learn a bunch of stuff from the University of Hard Knocks. <laughs> I don't I don't want other people to have to do that either. Because you're right. We get chained really well with our, like, differential diagnosis and, like, knowing what to do in situations when it comes clinically. But then all of a sudden, you start getting hit up as an attending, like, do you buy long-term disability insurance and what kind and then how much and, you know, and then it's like, oh, you've been approved for $500,000 for your first home. Do you jump or do you buy the like $180,000 home that's good enough? Or for me, I had this old, it was like a 2002 Ford Taurus that I drove (laughs) all the way through and, um, you know, was ready to upgrade and like looking at all those financial things. So we're going to do it. We're going to talk about money today, dollars in the bank how to keep more dollars in our bank rather than somebody else's and any other financial wisdom that you can drop on us today. Cause it's true. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. And this is one of those things that it's, it's interesting when I, you know, when I talk to people, it still continues to amaze me. I've been teaching financial management and done financial coaching, you know, for a long time, long since before I started the scope of practice, I actually started, uh, by teaching Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University class in my church, probably taught it 12 or 13 times. And the thing that is interesting is that the the widow who's on social security and making 14 grand a year, and that's it. And the dermatologist is making $600,000 a year. We, we do all the exact same things with our money, like the same errors, the same things that we're prone to, to making mistakes on. You know, the thing I like to say is that doctors do the same things. We make the same mistakes that everyone else does. We just do dumb with more zeros on the end. And it's it's the same five or six things that everybody does. And they're, you know, if you're smart enough to get into med school and get through med school, you can master personal finance. It's just not that hard. But it does require the discipline and the 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 intentional choices that will eventually lead to your success. Absolutely. I always remind people we're not special unicorns. Like when I'm talking to non-doctors who come on Dr. Me for some, like we're not special unicorns. But I think we have to remind ourselves of that too. Because I'm not going to lie. My primary reason for going into medicine wasn't financial. But it was probably like number four or five on the list coming from a lower middle class family. Like looking at money as, um, as a more secure path. So I think it really is. So talk to us a little bit. You mentioned five or six mistakes that everybody makes, no matter what initials you have behind your name. Drop a few of those on us. Yeah. So I think the number one thing that people do is that they spend more money than they make. I mean, it's it sounds obvious. And I, as people are listening to it, they're like, well, duh, we all know that. Well, if we all know that, why aren't we doing it? 
because the studies show that we're not. I mean, 80% of people in the country live paycheck to paycheck, and that includes physicians. I can't tell you the number of physicians that I've coached over the years that, you know, they're they're living hand to mouth because they're they're blowing their money every month. And, you know, there's like, you know, they're like, I feel like I need to get like a fifty thousand dollar advance on my salary just to be able to make ends meet. It's like, where is that going? That's more than every car I've ever bought. It sounds very simple. It sounds very obvious. But if you if you make one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars a year and you spend one hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year, you will go broke. If you make one hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year and you spend fifty of it, you will become wealthy. It is really that simple. So I think that's the first big thing. The second big thing that I see, and you know, this may sound like it's not exactly related to money, but it, it really is, and that is that you and your spouse are not on the same page. This is a very common thing that I see that happens. Is that and it happens for a variety of reasons, but you know, you're you're you and your spouse are just not communicating well with money. You fight about money, you stress about money, uh, you have different goals, you're not moving the same direction. And the problem with that is that money touches every aspect of our lives. It's not the most important thing in our life by any stretch, but it pretty much affects everything in our life. And so if you're not in agreement about your money, by extension, you're essentially not in agreement about everything in your life, right? So what kind of car are you going to drive? Where are you going to live? Are you going to send your kids to private school or not? You know, how often are you going to eat out? I mean, those are all questions that have to do with money. And so not being on the same page with your spouse is another really, really big one. And then I think the third really big one is not having a plan. And that's probably the thing that I get the most commonly when folks contact me to ask about, you know, if they if I can give them some help, it's they feel overwhelmed. They've got this huge mountain of student loan debt. They're looking to retire at some point. Maybe they don't want to work forever. Probably not. They're trying to decide, you know, am I going to, am I going to pay down debt? Should I be investing? What do I do with my 401k? And their, their, their mind is spinning in 25 directions and they get completely paralyzed because they just don't know where to begin. And so a lot of it is just having a plan. You know, what are you trying to work towards? When do you want to retire? What kind of house do you want to buy? And just sitting down and writing some of these things down and just deciding intentionally with your spouse, what are the goals we have for our family? And then setting a plan to meet those. And I think those are probably the big three. Yeah. I love that. You know, it seems so simple, but then like when you actually have to do it, that's that's why you're there, my friend, to help people. You know, one thing I was thinking about as you were talking about number three, about not having a plan, is I just had to put out there, there is no like right, perfect financial plan. I mean, it's totally individual. When it comes down to, like you said, it, I really feel it's it's like knowing yourself, knowing your goals, knowing your partners, knowing your families. And then the other thing with that, because that's where I think a lot of docs get tripped up because we want to do like, we want the algorithm that says you are the winner at the bottom. <laughs> and the other thing I think I have to say, because I've seen a big shift, maybe a maturing in my own financial life giving myself the permission to be like, hey, life changes. So does your financial planning. So for me, this year would be 10 years from me graduating med school. So I graduated in 2011. My plan was to have all of my student loans knocked out in 10 years. We are going to rice and beans, blow that shit out of the water. And you know what? Life changed. I got burned out. I needed to do something else with my life. I started my own business. I went PRN clinically. And I can say, like, we're still been paying on it the whole time, but I didn't 100% meet that paying it off in 10 years. But you know what? We're almost there. We're definitely under the six-figure mark. I was looking the other day. I think we're at, like, the 80s, 80,000. I'm like, okay, 
we can get this done. We're going to be okay. But I, I felt like, especially as I talk with other women about finances, there's that emotional component where we just beat ourselves up about it when we haven't done the right plan or things haven't worked out that I just want to put out there and be like, Hey, it's okay. Like you can cut yourself some slack. Yeah. A hundred percent. And the thing with personal finance is that it's personal, right? So if your goal is to, you know, get rid is to get rid of your student loans as quickly as possible. I mean, you could live with your parents and save on rent. I mean, that's a decision you can make, but most people aren't going to like to do that. Does that mean that that's wrong? No. I mean, is it going to slow you down a little bit? Sure. But that's a personal choice. I mean, you could pawn your, your engagement ring and, and, and throw money towards it with that, but it's okay if you're not going to do that. It doesn't make you crazy. So yeah, personal finance is personal and things are going to change. One of the things that I, I'm very fond of the saying that healthy things grow and growing things change. And so if you're, if you're changing constantly and adapting with the times, it's probably because you're growing and that's a good thing. And so I think it's, I think it's valuable to recognize that and, and frankly, to be willing to just say to yourself, you know what? It's okay that things are different. You know, I had a plan when I was 23 and now I'm 35 and I got two kids and a mortgage and I'm in a practice and I know a lot more now than I did then. And my priorities are different. And here's how the plans are going to change. You know what? That is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So, I mean, if you find yourself moving towards uh, towards the same plan that you had 10 years ago and it's not taking where you want to go, change the plan. It's your plan. It's your life. Do what you want. That's okay. But do it intentionally. Do it with, with some knowledge. Do it non-impulsively. And most importantly, do it together with your spouse. Make sure that you guys are uh, on the same sheet of music. So you're going to love this because one of my exercises that I make all of my coaching clients do when they come to me is because most of my people come to me, they're burned out. They hate their life. They hate their job. They want to run away to Tahiti and hope that the student loan financiers can't find them, right? So one exercise that I make them do is I call it quarters under the couch. You have to go and sit down and find all the money everywhere everywhere, like even the quarters in the cushions of the couch or in your car and figure out where all your money at. And and also then you have to figure out, okay, where's all the money going? Like you said, just sit down and get, get you a good old piece of legal paper and write down the last month what all the experts were and what all the inputs were. And I'll tell you so many times, I've only had one person come back to me that their financial situation looked dismal, like bad, bad. But 99% of everybody else who's come back to me is like, because I always say, okay, if things get bad and you need to exit quicker than what the plan is, how how long could you guys make it? And of course, I don't want anybody taking loans out of their 401k or pulling out their 401k early. I don't want you having to sell your house and go live in a van down by the river. But- if things got bad and it's your mental health versus staying in a job that's killing you, what does that look like? And like I said, 99% of people are like, I got six months, 12 months, 18 months of savings. Because I always say like, what are savings for? What's well, for when you come on hard times? Is this a hard time? Can we potentially think about using this? And so what about you? I, I know you sit in a little bit of different space, but that's always encouraging for me when I can talk to people and say, 
give yourself some breathing room. You've done okay so far. If we need to pump the brakes, maybe we're going to stop going hardcore and investing or paying off or that sort of thing, but you're going to be okay. And like I said, I just kind of like the quarters in the couch exercise. Well, the number one thing that I think really hamstrings people when they're coming and talking to me is they feel hopeless. And and it sounds like that's kind of what you're talking about as well. And that's probably the most important thing that I think I do up front is, is give people that hope. And it's the same kind of a thing. Most of the time, people are better off than they thought they were, or they learn through our discussion and our analysis of their situation that they have the capacity to turn things around. So let's say they're even worse off than they thought they were, which doesn't happen often, but does happen. Most of the time I can show them, look, yeah, you're not in the greatest of shape, but all we really got to do is make two or three intentional decisions and your cash flow is actually going to be able to make this work. You got to make a few changes, but this isn't at the end of the world. You're not heading towards the edge of a cliff. You know, you're you're moseying toward the edge of a cliff. And so we're just gonna mosey on around the other direction. So talk a little bit about some of those intentional changes that you've helped guide people through. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing is getting control of spending. I think that's the number one thing. And so what I'll do if people, the exercise that I like to do is I'll tell them, go print out your credit card receipts from the last, uh, or your credit card statements from the last three months and just tally everything up on a piece of paper and see what you've been spending your money on. A lot of times people kind of freak out because they're like, okay, I know this is going to look bad. I don't want to do this, but it's it's the same kind of thing like that we talk about like when you're t- when you've got a patient that's you know that's uh, that's diabetic and their hemoglobin A1C is 11 and you say okay I want you to keep track of your sugars for the next month and it forces them to look and every day they're looking at a number that they have four sets of numbers that are all above 300 and it forces them to look at themselves in the mirror it's a hard moment to look at that and the only way that you're going to be able to make a change is if you change the way you're doing things so if you want different results, you got to do have a different process. And so what I'll tell people is just, just start with that. You know, Get your credit card receipts from the last three months, tally it up. How much are you spending at Amazon? That's going to be a really high category from a lot of people these days. Uh, how much are you spending on eating out? That's probably a high category these days. And then just get a sense of where all your money's going. And then you can once you see where your money's going, you can say, okay, is the money going where we want it to go? Usually the answer is no. All right, where do we want it to go? Okay. So then we have to make a change instead of moving money over here towards Amazon and, you know, Chick-fil-A that's, that's, that's me, uh, (laughs) or something like that. You know, you want it to go towards paying down your student loans. You want it to go towards your 401k. Okay. Well, now you know what the actual problem is, you know, where you need to go. It's just a matter of making the call to just go and do it. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's like looking the monster in the face. A lot of times the shadow is much scarier than the actual monster. And like, once you sit down and look at it, it's so important. Yeah. And like I said, most people, especially physicians and folks who are higher income earners tend to be in a good position from a cash flow standpoint, if they can just keep money from going out the door. It's one of the reasons why I'm really aggressive about paying off debt as soon as possible, because I want you to have more of your income to do with it what you want. And if you've got $10,000 a month going out to car payments and Sally Mae, and your mortgage and credit cards and that zero interest furniture loan, which yeah, it's 0%. Yeah. But it's still, it's leaving you. If that's where all your money's going, then you can't use your money to, you know, for the things that you want to do, like saving to go and retire early or saving up to buy a business 
or investing in your kid's college fund or whatever. And so it's it's just making those intentional choices day by day. So one thing I see, so I call them golden handcuffs, like the doctor job, the doctor cars, the doctor house. You know what I'm talking about. Like it's it's the dream house we all thought about. And I see so many people when I talk to them, they're working for their stuff. And so I have to really talk about them like with realignment and being like, is it the house that's making you happy? Even though you've got to like burn the candle on both ends to keep said house, to keep this mortgage, to keep up appearances, is it worth it? Do you ever have those conversations with people too about looking at those those big things? I, so here's the for instance, family medicine doctor, rural area, coming out of residency. We literally got, they told us we got pre-approved at the bank for $500,000 for a home. There's no homes like that in my area, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, probably not in the county. I mean, you could buy a shit ton of farm ground, but there's no half a million dollar homes. Like there's no quote unquote doctor homes in our areas. And it, for us, it really wasn't a big deal. So when we went to them and we said, oh, we found this home for $180,000, it's what we want. The bank looked at us like, are you sure? Are you sure? But I'm so glad now because we didn't have that golden handcuff. We knew that our mortgage was less than 20% of what I made. And so then when I had an income shift and change, it really wasn't that big a deal. I know the Dave Ramsey stuff a little bit. I don't 100% agree with him anymore. I'll be perfectly honest. But we did Dave Ramsey for a, a good long while and did Financial Peace University and all of that. But what do you talk with people when it comes to about the doctor house? Yeah, it's a great question. And the the house specifically is a very important linchpin issue in your financial wellness and your overall financial plan. So there's a couple of great books that I always recommend people read if they're interested in finances. The first book that everybody needs to read is called The The Millionaire Next Door. It is a critically important read for anybody. The reason being that it was the first real big study of millionaires that was done. It was uh, The book was published in 98, 97, 98. And what they found is that the average American millionaire is not a doctor or a lawyer. The average American millionaire is a plumber or an electrician or a teacher or a mailman or a city worker of some kind. But it's someone who made smart decisions, who lived on less than they made and just worked hard, made a plan and retired well. And you don't have to have that giant house in order to do it. So there's a reason that doctors and lawyers are not in the top five professions for millionaires. And one of the reasons is we tend to overspend what we can legitimately afford. And so this concept of buying the the doctor house really is something you need to take into serious account when you're thinking about what your long-term financial goals are. Because here's the thing, where what house you buy and in the neighborhood you buy is going to influence every other buying decision that you make from then on. Okay? Because you're going to you tend to mimic a lot of the behaviors of the people who are around you. Okay, so if your neighbors are all driving Teslas and BMWs and Porsches, you're going to feel a lot of pressure to move in that direction. You're going to tend to buy a more expensive car than you otherwise would have if you're living in a a neighborhood where your houses are 150,000 as opposed to 600,000. If you are in a $700,000 house type neighborhood, your family your neighbors are more likely to be sending your kid their kids to private schools. You're going to start feeling pressure to send your kids to private schools. 
And listen, there's nothing wrong with any of that. That's all fine. If you can afford it, go for it. There's nothing evil about private schools, nothing evil about owning a Tesla, go for it. But it will influence your buying decisions. It will tend to influence the kind of food that you eat, the kind, the number of times a week that you go out to eat, the kinds of uh, activities that you do, the types of vacations you take. Those are the kinds of things that really will be influenced by the people around you. And that starts with the house you buy in the neighborhood that you buy. So one of the things that I really encourage people to, to practice is the concept of social indifference. And so this doesn't mean that you don't care about your neighbors. It means that you are not heavily influenced by the buying decisions of your neighbors. So I'll give you an example. So if you've heard of the expression, keeping up with the Joneses, that is a disaster in 2021 because the Joneses are all on Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook, and they're all posting their amazing pictures of their recent vacation and their kids' school play at their private school and the new car that they just got. And they're putting their highlight reels online. And one of the scariest things that I ever hear from somebody is, when is it going to be my turn? I feel like it's my turn now. Like I've waited long enough. It's my turn to buy X, to do Y, to be Z. And as soon as I hear somebody say that, I know they're about to make an impulsive decision. And very oftentimes it's going to have five or six zeros behind it. And that's really a place where people can make significant financial decisions that will have major impact on their overall financial plan. And listen, if that's something that you've thought about deliberately and you've, you've spent a lot of time and researched it and you've got the money and you can afford it, go for it. No problem. But it is very common for people to make impulsive or emotional decisions based on what they see other people doing. And choice of house, choice of neighborhood, choice of uh, community, very influential in those decisions. So you're pretty much telling everybody they need to move to Indiana and come be my neighbor because we are low on the hog. <laughs> well, right? well in, fa- in fairness, I think everybody should have an opportunity to live close to you, Dr. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I I didn't really know that before you said all that, but our neighbor across the field just put on a back porch and you better believe I've been talking to my husband to be like, we need a back porch. We need a deck. That looks really nice. And now I can logically tell my brain whenever it's doing that, be like, no, 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 we're good. We got plenty of acres. Kids can run around naked. We don't need to spend $50,000 on a deck right now. We're good. Yeah. And you say, you say, I've got a neighbor who has a deck. I'm going to go exactly. sit on his deck. <laughs> exactly. Let's go make friends instead of, yeah, using. So thank you. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. Well, Brent, it has been so great sitting down chitty chatting. I know that you've got so much more wealth of information, no pun intended, to share with the audience. Where can they hang out with you if they want to know more about you or just become your friend? Well, the best place is going to be the the website. It's uh, www.thescopeofpractice.com. And you can check out the blog and the podcast. Uh, Dr. Wiseman was on the podcast uh, in episode 63. It was outstanding. So you definitely need to go check that out. If you're a fan of her, you're going to be a fan of that one for sure. Uh, but you can check all that stuff out. But the big thing that's coming up this fall that um, I think people really get a kick out of is um, hosting a three-day live summit called Marriage and Money MD. We've got 21 uh, speakers that are physicians and physician spouses that uh, a lot of them are straight up guests from Dr. Wiseman's podcast. You all are going to be familiar with them. They're fantastic. 
We're going to be talking about communication, conflict resolution, how to set up a financial plan, how to budget, get out of debt, invest in real estate. We're going to be talking about sex. I mean, we're going to be talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. It's going to be great. So if people want to check that out, that is, uh, it's free. It's a live summit, but, and we're going to have replays available for the rest of the week. It's free to attend. You can go sign up at uh, www.marriageandmoneymd.com. Uh, and so people can sign up for that for free. It's going to be awesome. Hope to see people there. Absolutely. I'm going to have to do a married to an alpha female episode with my husband all about those topics. That will be stellar. Now you're Absolutely. talking. <laughs> well, Brent, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you and all that you're doing. And you know what? The badass in me honors the badass in you, my friend. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me on. I had a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. you aspiring podcasters out there, listen up. If you have always wanted to start a podcast, but you haven't gotten around to it yet, this is your sign. I have made a podcasting 101 and podcasting 202 presentation that I want to help you. For a limited time only this fall, you can pick up both of those in a bundle. Check the show notes for the link. In Podcasting 101, you get everything you need to get your podcast off the ground with fun and ease. And in Podcasting 202, you learn how to scale and monetize so that you can grow your podcast reach and even make some dollars. When I started podcasting in 2018 here on Dr. Me First, I had no idea what I was getting myself into or how much I would love doing this podcast. So having a course like this to show me a way would have saved me so much pain and hassle from everything that I went through. And I shared that with you so you can get started on the right path. Plus, you get to see the Aaron Wiseman way of things. Let me show you the Coupon Mom easy way to podcast. This won't be around forever, so go check it out and get your podcast out there. Then make sure to email me and let me know when it's launched. I want to listen to you too. But you got to go check out Podcasting 101 and Podcasting 202 to get you started. Hey, thanks so much, Brent Lacey, for coming on the podcast. Just another plug for his conference that's coming up, Marriage and Money MD. Get the link in the show notes. You need to be there just going to tell you, you need to be there. <laughs> so go check it out. And remember, my friends, your life, your calling, your pulse matters.
and heavy lids run. 